Welcome to Curious and Candid, conversations with those in pursuit of more. Today's guest is Ian Miller. Ian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You're, you're very welcome, my man. So, uh, Ian, we're going to kind of jump right into things. I've got four questions I'd like to ask all of the guests. Uh, I like to call them the conversational starter questions, just to kind of get our conversation rolling, so to speak. So, I would like to know, Ian, how do you start your day? Do you have any specific routine or ritual that you like to stick to on most mornings and on most days? Yeah, actually, I'm a, I'm a creature of habit, uh, just because I'm very ADD and ADHD. So, uh, growing up, they always, because uh, I wasn't allowed to take, um, what do you call it? I wasn't allowed to take um, extra, what do you, like curricular, like I couldn't take an extra language because uh, they put me in a special like learning class basically for that. So uh, yeah, they, they bred me to basically be a creature habit. So uh, during the weekdays, uh, my thing is, is either if I have a fight coming up, I wake up a little, I wake up around like 530 AM, go for a run for like an hour um, and then come home and I'll do yoga and then I'll start, uh, my, my work, um, during the weekend, it's a little bit more relaxed, uh, just because I have a little bit more of an open schedule. So I'll wake up a little bit later, give or take like eight, eight fifteen ish. I try at least to sleep in as much as I can. Um, sometimes my body just doesn't let me. So, uh, just because I wake up so early during the week. Um, but in addition to that, uh, those days I'll wake up. Um, I like to, I'm big into cycling, so I'll go cycle for like an hour, um, come home, you know, do maybe do some yoga. Yoga has been my new thing lately, um, up until I tore my meniscus. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I plan on continuing doing yoga just because it keeps me centered and, uh, relaxed and, you know, just for my body, it's always good as well. Um, so those would be my routines, obviously coffee involved because, uh, I'm a caffeine, you know, addicted person. So that would be another thing. Okay. Awesome, man. Now, uh, I want to, I want to touch on the yoga side of things. Cause a lot of the guys that I have on uh podcast don't usually, uh, you know, have yoga in their routine, especially in the morning. So for you, when did you kind of start incorporating that, uh, Ian and, 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 and why did you start incorporating yoga. I know you mentioned kind of keeping you centered, but it, does it have kind of like a athletic performance side of things for you too, as well? Yeah. Um, I started actually, uh, I needed an extracurricular in college. I went to Arizona state. So my roommate at the time was like, well, let's take yoga. Like it's probably easy. And, uh, so I joined him in on that. And then, uh, the teacher just kind of, um, I don't know. He, I just, saw something in him that I really liked. Like he was an ex Muay Thai fighter who um, found yoga through like Buddhism and whatnot um, when he was fighting overseas and he changed his whole life for it. He stopped fighting, like really got into the whole um, culture, I guess you could say of it. And uh, I don't know. I just really enjoyed it. It was like a nice relaxing thing for me to stretch my body out. And then I kind of, after I graduated, after those two semesters of it, I kind of started trending away from it just because the lifestyle it was living wasn't really healthy and um and whatnot. But I actually started, I'm gonna say restarted, I guess you could say, give or take about two, three months ago, because one of my teammates, uh, his name's Aiden Ingram, he wanted me to um try it just to kind of keep myself, you know, loose, like you're saying, the athletic side of things. Uh it's good, you know, especially in martial arts, it's always good to keep your hips, your legs, just your body loose because, you know, we're always so like 
tight and stuff like that. Like our backs, our our hips, just from throwing kicks and things like that. So um, it's always beneficial, you know, to keep your body loose and and stretch every day. So it's a good way to start your day, just to get your body loose before you know hit hit it hard. Love that, man. Uh, very cool. Okay, Ian, um, do you have a favorite all-time book or a book that maybe you like to give people? And then if you are a podcast consumer, do you have any podcasts that you recommend or you kind of uh, are go-to podcasts for you? So I got one of, I got one for each. <laughs> um, so my book, it was, I mean, it, I read it in, when I was younger, but uh, I don't know. I just, I just really loved it. It was called Heart of a Champion by Carl Duker. I think that's how you say his last name. Um, I don't know. I just really enjoyed it. I'm a sports guy. So it brings you life lessons through, you know, kind of like a athlete's eye as a kid. Um, but I don't know. There's a lot of like life lessons you can learn through it and, you know, about treating others with respect and whatnot. Um, and then podcast wise, I'm big Joe Rogan guy. <laughs> Anytime he has an MMA guest on or like a scientist or something like that, um, I'll always watch it just because, you know, uh, big Joe Rogan guy. So, yeah. Uh, the the Joe Rogan definitely makes sense, especially as we get kind of into your story and get into the the fighting side of Ian. So definitely, definitely get that one. Okay. Um, what's a life lesson, Ian, that you've been taught or that you've learned within the last year or kind of uh, uh, within recent times? Um. Within recent times, um, you know, going back to one of my teammates, Aiden Ingram, he he told me everything in life happens for a reason. Um, it may not be within the timeline that you you want it to be, just because I've had so many injuries the past year or two, um, and I didn't. I'm not in the timeline that I set for myself at a certain time. But he's like, everything happens for a reason. Um, you know, you are where you're meant to be. And that always resonated with me, especially like recent with, you know, partially tearing my meniscus. Like I, you know, I just, I was in the dumps. Like I, I couldn't do what I love to do every day. And, um, you know, I was just kind of depressed about it and having it as, like I said, a creature of habit, um, you know, not being able to go through those routines that you're used to and do the things you love, um, kind of takes a toll on you when you, especially when you go from working out we'll say four to six hours on a daily basis to you're not able to get off the couch. Um, you know, that takes a mental toll on you and you're as a competitor in my mind, you know, I'm always thinking like I need to outwork the the guy that I'm going to be fighting or anyone in my weight class. I need to be outworking. So um, being able to sit back and be like, okay, I need to relax so that I can have longevity and actually get to where I want to go rather than get back as fast as I can get hurt again and then go through an even worse process uh, physically and mentally. Now, uh, it, let's let's talk a little bit since we're kind of there already. So everything happens for a reason. Now, you mentioned this uh, like partially torn meniscus and how it's kind of been frustrating for you and you've had to kind of work maybe through some depression and things like that. Um, how, how have you adjusted to not being able to work out or train four to six hours a day and, and not kind of do your normal routine. Like walk us through some of the things that you've had to maybe learn during this season of having to pull back, so to speak, Ian. Yeah. I mean, like, so for me, I'm all like, I'm always trying to improve no matter what the situation or the circumstance. So for me right now, I'm watching like hours of film and writing notes in my notebook 
or my phone, either way. Um, and being able to pull inspiration from others, write down notes of what I want to work in, work on rather when I get back. Um, strategic things like, uh, for example, like uh, this past weekend, not this, not like a week ago, rather. I went to a UFC 290 with my roommate, um, and him and I saw my one of my my probably my favorite fighter, second favorite fighter of all time, my favorite active right now, um, Alexander Volkanovsky. I just take a lot of inspiration from him and. I just think he's the ultimate competitor, and I think he's one of the greatest fighters we've ever seen. Um, so being able to see that live and take inspiration from that and kind of really – I mean, I've watched the fight like probably 15 times already in the past week and broken it down, and I'm just very excited to get back and um, work on the things that I've been learning through watching film. And in addition to that, <laughs> I am engaged now, so uh, spending time with my fiance and doing the things that we're not able to do when I have a fight coming up. Um, just because I'm always going back to back to back to back, you know, training for fights. Um, like simple thing is like her cooking dinner, like whatever we want, like pasta or something like that. Um, just enjoying those normal daily things that I'm not able to f enjoy when I have a fight coming up. Um, just because I, I stick to a strict diet and um, routine. Like, you know, I don't really like going out when I have a fight coming up just because I, I'm very, I need to stay focused and if I, I don't want to ever slip up, so I don't want to give myself the opportunity to ever do that. So I'll, I, you know, when I have a fight coming up, I, you know, I go up, I go to practice, come home, go to the next practice, come home. If I have something else, I'll go out, you know, go to another practice or workout, come home, and then I go to sleep. And that's the same thing week after week after day, you know, whatever it may be, right? Um, but now I kind of get to, I guess you could say spoil her and, Give her what she actually deserves, especially since she cooks all my meals that my nutritionist writes up for me. So, um, yeah, just being able to enjoy that those certain things or travel or whatever I can do at the time. Awesome, man. Love that. Okay. Uh, last one in terms of our conversational starter questions. Ian, do you have a favorite quote, mantra, or word? Um, uh, <laughs> it's kind of a weird one, but uh i'm a very uh, i grew up in chicago so i'm a very big sports fan just because that's what we do and bulls being one of them um so michael jordan in uh the last the last dance uh documentary i think it was like part six or seven uh the part where he says and i took that personally um i just have a competitor's mindset like him and i just think he's the ultimate competitor and i want to be more and more like him as a competitor every day um, so finding in, you know, my, my teammates call me like a pit bull basically when I see an opponent or something like that, because I'm always just sizing them up and I I'm ready to go and I, I don't like to lose and I'm, you know, I'm I want to get in their head and whatnot. But, um, uh, when he said, and I took that personally about, you know, um, all these certain people, you know, I'm always trying to find a competitive advantage or find something and, um, I don't know. I just, I just really resonate with what he said and how, as a competitor and wanting to break down your opponent before you even set foot or give yourself the motivation and, and a little bit extra kick. So um, I don't know. It's a weird one. <laughs> Probably not one that you're used to, but uh, that one's a big one. I, I'm sure there's plenty of others from fighters, um, but that that's the one that resonates with me at all times. Okay, now, um, before we kind of get into your backstory a little bit more, I want to ask you, so you said something about getting into their head. 
Um, like talk a little bit as a fighter, because I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a fighter. I, 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 you know, uh, uh, that's just not me, but obviously I'm a little bit familiar with like UFC and I'll see like, you know, the, the weigh-ins and they'll like different guys. Like I remember like Conor McGregor, you know, just talking all of his, uh, psychological smack or whatever, you know, different guys, different gals will do different things like at the weigh-in. And that's about the, the brunt of what I see in terms of UFC. But, um, for you, Ian, uh, what have you found to be beneficial in terms of kind of like the, the, the psychological warfare, so to speak, or the psychological side of things to maybe try to get into your opponent's head? Like what are some of your tactics or what have you seen work maybe with, with other competitors on other competitors? Actually one that you bring up like Connor. Um, I remember he was saying that he knew Jose Aldo was going to, uh, do what exactly what he did with when he threw that jab cross um, coming in because when they were doing a stare down, he noticed that Jose was clutching his right hand like this, knowing that that was going to be like a power strike he was going to throw at the beginning of the fight. That's how he knew to step back, bang that left hook, and call it a day. Um, but I'm I don't do it like that, or I don't I don't really talk that much crap to be honest, um, unless they do it to me because you know I I just I'm more of like the GSP Volkanovski type where like we're going to compete anyways. So, you know, I'm a competitor and I'm going to want to rip your head off anyway. So, um, I don't need to talk shit. I can, if I want to, just cause I'm Irish and we have the gift of gab, but, um, but I always, I was like the, the line from Scarface, the eyes never lie. Um, so I always kind of like to look there and kind of see what you, you can tell a lot by someone by the, by the look in their eyes. Okay. Very cool, man. Love it. Okay. Um, let's transition Ian into your, uh, your childhood and your upbringing. So, um, why don't you let us all know where you physically like, well, I guess you mentioned you grew up in Chicago. So, uh, talk about growing up in Chicago. Uh, it sounds like you probably played sports if you're like a Bulls fan and things like that. And obviously you're a, you're a fighter now. So, um, siblings, only child, what was your relationship with like your parents? What was school like for you? Uh, just paint that picture for your childhood for us up to about high school. Okay. Yeah. So essentially, um, I have both parents, like I have great parents, um, great mom, great dad. My mom came here uh, to America from Ireland and my dad's from Chicago. Um, so then they had me eventually and, uh, you know, was raised in the suburbs of Chicago. Um, for me, I come from a hockey family. So my dad was a hockey coach. He played hockey his whole life as well. Um, so literally like as soon as I could walk, he was trying to have me skate and play hockey. And like, I think there's photos of me on the bench with him as a baby while he's holding me while he's coaching. Um, so that's the kind of the sports that I, I come, you know, as a family, like we're a hockey family, but you know, played, played basketball or not. I didn't play basketball. I'm sorry. I take that back. <laughs> I played baseball uh, for a short time. I played football. Um, trying to think what else. I mean, I, I did as much as I could. Um, but up until high school, I was playing hockey, baseball and football for a couple of three years until I was, I was just too small. Um, uh, but I had great parents, as I was saying, I have a younger sister named Kira, um, who I have a good relationship with. Um, like I don't have any like trauma like that or anything like that. Uh, that some fighters do, um, you know, I never missed a meal. I'm, you know, I'm very happy with the way I was raised, but, um, 
you know, we were just a very sports centered family. Um, except for my sister, she wasn't much of a sports person, but, uh, my dad and I, that's kind of where we bonded was through sports and, uh, you know, Chicago sports in general too. big bulls, big cubs, Blackhawks, uh, bears, you know, whatever it is, if it had the Chicago name on it, we were watching it. Um, just cause growing up, I feel like in the, um, growing up in the Midwest and places with colder weather, you just you're a sports fan. That's what we do. Like, um, I see what's it called? Um, where like, you know, you come to LA or certain places that are like Miami, for example, is a great one. Like they're not real sports fans. They, you know, the NBA finals from when LeBron was there is a great example of, you know, the fans are leaving and then they come back and win the game, but the fans can't get even back into the, into the stadium because they left. It's like, that's just not the way I was raised. Um, You know, and then another thing about like growing up and whatnot up until high school, like you were saying, um, my dad always thought you you compete to win. If you're not competing to win, there's no point of this. Um, And we're just a very competitive family with a lot of grit. And um, yeah, I guess that would be a good way to explain it. You know, my mom is a great person. She, you know, raised me to teach, you know, treat everyone equally. Um, she kind of raised me with like the European values in that regards, like, and I got bullied a bit because of it, uh, just because I was a little bit differently than everyone, different than everyone in the way I acted, and I even talked a little bit differently just because I would use kind of Irish slang sometimes. Um, but you know what? In the end, I it made me a better person and um, brought me to martial arts in the end because I ended up doing Taekwondo when I was like six or seven because of the bullying and my parents just wanted me to have some direction and whatnot. Um, so that brought me kind of into the martial arts scene and I got my black belt by the time I was like 12 or 12, I'd say something around that. And then, um, you know, kind of worked my way up into high school and that's kind of where we were at. (laughs) Now, um, earlier Ian, you mentioned something about like, having like AD, ADD, ADHD kind of stuff like that, the attention deficit stuff. Uh, when did that kind of come into play? Was that something that you also uh, had to kind of work on in terms of school and making friends or uh, would you touch on that, please? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I always had it right, <laughs> but um, I used to get in trouble when I was a kid because I would stand up and yell answers or, I wouldn't raise my hand and I, I couldn't sit. Like I was just a ticking time bomb. Um, and then I also had like kind of like an anger issue as a kid just because of it. Uh, I think they call it the, like the reign of the reign of something. There's like a, there's a technical term of the different types of ADD and ADHD and like all the symptoms and whatnot. But I had most of them. And then uh, I had a teacher that really just didn't like me. I think it was like third grade. And then in fourth grade, one of my teachers kind of noticed and they actually cared and they were like, you should get them tested. I think you might have this. Um, so then I got tested and they were like, Jesus Christ, this kid definitely has ADD and ADHD. Um, so I got put on Adderall uh, to kind of combat that in fourth grade. Um, and then, you know, just like once again, like I really wanted to learn Spanish growing up and I was in the class for two days and then they pulled me to put me in the special learning class. Um, and obviously kind of like having kids call you some messed up names because of it and, um, 
kind of psychologically, you know, get after you just because that's what kids do. I mean, like, it is what it is. Like, there's always going to be bullying no matter what we try to do. It's really just learning how to com combat it, whether it be physical or mental or, you know, whatever it may be, right? Um, so, I, I mean, I made friends with other kids that were in my special needs class. And, like, as I said, I'm getting married in April. And one of them is in my groomsmen. So, um, you know, just I didn't have a lot of friends growing up, um, like a big circle, like some of the popular kids. But the kids that I did have around me, you know, I like to call them riders, you know, like that we we stick together. Um, now, do you feel like uh, some of that uh, extra uh, hyper activity that you had as a kid has really um, been maybe an asset for you as you've got into fighting and and competing uh, as an athlete. Yeah, hundred percent. Like, there's uh, I was, <laughs> I was actually watching an amazing race with my fiance, and there's a guy who was talking about it on the newest season. Um, he had like same as me, like really bad ADHD. But there's like a hyper focus that you can have for a short amount of time, and that hyper focus is what like uh, I kind of like utilize it and use it for strength, um, like when I lock in on something, I'm like addicted. Like I, MMA is a great example. Like I, when I'm not practicing, I'm watching film. And when I'm not watching film, I'm practicing. So like, I don't really watch much TV or any, anything like that. Like I'm always on YouTube or the UFC app or the ESPN app watching breakdowns or fights or whatever it may be, just because I want to get that step ahead. But like, there's a compulsive side of, of fighting or not a fighting of ADHD rather. So I guess that would be like, drawing the superpower out of it <laughs> not to quote kanye west <laughs> well you know man like i love that uh mindset or philosophy because uh man what sometimes people will give us a hard time for maybe a trait that we have or something that we do or don't have but like 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 you said we can we can turn that uh into a superpower or for or or, or turn it into something uh, positive so that's uh, that's kind of cool to hear that you've done that now you said you started Taekwondo, Ian, at a pretty young age. So uh, why don't you talk about that a little bit more? You said you got your black belt by the time you're like 11, 12 years old. Was Taekwondo something that you enjoyed right away, kind of that martial art? Or was it something that you just did because you, uh, you know, your parents wanted you to? Like walk us through uh, starting to get into martial arts, so to speak. Yeah. So uh, I got put in when I was like six and got my black belt when I was like around 11, 12 for something around that time right um i don't remember exact like years or dates or anything like that but um i, I did enjoy it don't get me wrong i love the camaraderie of like teammates and being around everyone and it was good because eventually my dad got into it and he even got like i think his third degree black belt by some point um but i also like the other sides of it just outside of learning martial arts and whatnot i wasn't too too into like the I honestly don't remember the names, but like the forms and stuff like that. Like I, I like I just like the competing aspect of it. Um, and then in addition to that, one of the things we did is like a tradition was um, there'd be a kids class and then there'd be adults class on Friday nights. Um, so after the adults class, we all everyone, the parents, the kids, we'd all mob over in the same like um, complex, I guess you could call it, to a sushi place. And like I, that sushi place still holds like a special place in my heart. It's called Fujiyama. Um, it holds like a special place in my heart just because like I have all those memories there growing up going there every Friday and having friends actually you know from Taekwondo and like 
just being able to hang out and like be myself around people. Um, so there's like multiple aspects of it of why I liked it so much, but then I kind of just stopped. Um, one of the, our instructors left, started his own school. It was a bit farther away and whatnot. Um, and then I just kind of fell off because I had my black belt and being that young, you don't understand, like you got to keep going. Um, so I just kind of was like, I got my black belt, like what's next. Um, and then I was in high school just to speed it up a little. Um, I think I was about to go into my soft, or I was, I think it was during my sophomore year. Um, we were at Buffalo Wild Wings and my buddy pointed up at the TV. He's like, look at this fight. This is crazy. And I just started watching it. It was the UFC and um, it was a fighter named Rampage Jackson. And I heard him like howling and people were like cheering him on and like just really respected him. And uh, I was like, damn, I want to be like that guy. And I said it out loud. I didn't even know I said it out loud. And my buddy Jared, uh, the guy I was talking about, who's going to be my groomsman, he he looked at me and he was like, well, if you really want to do this, you got to quit hockey and, and start wrestling because that's the best fighters. And I looked at him and I was like, wait, really? And he was like, yeah. And I just kind of mulled on it for a little bit um, and kind of thought about it. And I was like, let's do this. Like, you know, um, this is kind of something I want to do. I'm a martial artist in the end. So, you know, let's go out for wrestling. Um, so I literally stopped playing hockey and went out wrestling as fast as i could um and you know I, I really didn't think about you know fighting ufc or anything like that at the time i was just like i want to do this for the respect aspect of it and people like me and whatnot and then i started watching more and more and more and getting in more into the sport and then i found george st pierre and he has a very similar story as me and that i mean he really became my idol um like if i ever get the chance to meet him i really want to shake his hand and just thank him for all that he's done in my life. Um, even though I've never met him, right. Which is kind of crazy to think about, but he's just the ultimate martial artist. Like he's retired now and he still trains and getting better because he's a martial artist. There is no end to this. Like there may be an end to competing, but there's never an end to learning and becoming a better martial artist and living by the code. Mm. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I was doing wrestling and then eventually I went to a gym that I, I didn't know wasn't like a real gym. It was just a guy renting the space and like he watched a bunch of UFC. So started doing jujitsu and stuff like that with them um, right after wrestling practices during the weeks and it helped me cut weight too, which was great. Um, but I really wasn't learning that like technical stuff like that. So then uh, eventually I graduated high school, went to college Um Honestly, now I kind of beat myself up for it, but, um, you know, I, I partied a lot. I'm just going to be up front at college and especially going to Arizona State. They're, you're posing certain ways. Um, but I always knew that when I graduated, I was going to start fighting. Like, that was just the goal in mind. I just got all of that stuff out of my system before I really dove deep into it. And then during my senior year, started doing jujitsu, like actual jujitsu. Um, and then I graduated went to Ireland for a bit, lived there for a bit, and then came back and lived in Arizona. Um, started actually training uh, a bit and then moved back to Chicago and, like, really actually started training with a team called uh, – or with a team, rather, out there. And then uh, two months into training, my coach got me a fight. Uh, I won it. And then, um, you know, that's when everything started to take off from there. I ended up moving back to Arizona 
training at a gym out there, but um, during it, like, you know, I was always asking to get fights, but no one was helping me get fights. And then eventually I got an Instagram message from a gym in California um, telling me to come out and train, drove out on a whim with, with Aiden. And uh, we went to a gym called training lab and we walked in and I mean, we saw like the who's who's there training like TJ Dillashaw, Juan Archuleta, Cub Swanson, you know, the list goes on and on of all these like legends in the UFC that were there. And we got to train with and spar and whatnot. And uh, we looked at each other at the end of the trip after the week. Yeah, because we had to go back to Arizona to work and whatnot. Um, turned him and was like, yo, I don't care what I have to do. I'm moving here. So I packed like a month later. I told my work, I'm like, I'm going remote. I don't care. I'm either going to quit or you're going to let me go remote. So they let me go remote. And a month later, I packed my bags in my car and moved out here. I didn't have a place to stay. Um, I found a place to stay on the first day. One of the teammates and it just wasn't a good situation. So the next two days later at practice, um someone raised their hand and like we need a does anyone need a room like we need a roommate and i raised my hand i was like yes i do and then um i actually met my roommate heber through that and uh he was he was fighting at the time so i mean we're still living together now and i'm here now and you know i've got a lot of great opportunities um that i've gotten through just moving out here and meeting people and them get helping me give opportunities and mentoring me and you know just um California is really the place to be if you want to become a fighter, that or Southern Florida. So those are the two spots. And um, I'm just kind of lucky that I fell into all this and got connected with the right people. Hmm. Okay. Now, before we get too far deep into the fighting game here, Ian, I want to take a step back. So uh, why did you end up going to Arizona State when you were, you know, from Chicago? Talk talk about that story, if you don't mind. Yeah, I, I really just wanted to <laughs> – not be like every other person that is from Illinois and, you know, um, or from like the Chicagoland area and ends up going to U university of Illinois or Indiana university or stay in the Midwest. I wanted to be different and I didn't want to be in the Midwest. I didn't want to be around these people I went to high school with. I, I, to be upfront, like, um, they didn't treat me nice anyway. So I didn't care to stay there. Um, so I actually have a quote or, uh, Facebook status I wrote as a kid and as a senior in high school. And I said, one day I will move to California. And I actually just saw it um, recently because it came up on like a time hop, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. I knew I wanted to go out West. I wanted to be in warmer weather. I wanted to just be in a better place in my mind of what, it, what was better. Um, so I only, I, I wanted to go to uh, university of Southern California, USC. And my parents laughed at me. They're like, no, not a chance in hell with how expensive it is. And I, I, now that looking back, I'm like, you guys were right. But um, one of the schools that I saw and my buddy, when my the best man at my wedding, his name's Joe. He's a basketball player and he got an offer to play at Arizona state. And he's like, come out, come out, check it out. He's like, if I'm going to play here. I want you here. Um, just cause we're like attached to the hip like that. So I came out with my dad who actually, he went to ASU for like a semester or two when he was in, when he was that age. Uh, and I think about three hours in, I'm like, I'm going here. I don't care. Like I, this is the spot for me. Just like the tour, the people on campus, um, just, you could feel it. And I was like, this is where I need to be. Um, I don't need to be in the Midwest. So that's kind of what drew me out there. So in the end, Joe didn't even go up to Arizona, go to Arizona state, but, uh, you know, I, I did. <laughs> okay, cool. And, and besides, uh, 
studying partying and probably girls in uh, what was your what was your major at ASU? It was sales and marketing. Um, I come up from a long line of my dad's a salesman. My grandpa was in sales. So it kind of goes back. And um, so, yeah, that's that's what my um, degree was in. OK. And uh, I'm, I'm assuming the parties, like you said, you kind of got into partying. The parties at ASU are probably pretty legit, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cool, man. All right. So um, let's uh, talk a little bit about um, what was it? Uh, I guess you kind of alluded to it or mentioned it lightly, but when you saw, first saw that uh, UFC fight on TV, um, I guess you kind of said that kind of just like gaining that respect of being a fighter was something that kind of attracted you to that type of fighting. Is is that correct? Or maybe if you want to expound on that a, a minute, Ian. Yeah. I don't think I fully explained it. Um, like I didn't just want people to like me or respect me and stuff like that. It just sounds kind of a little weird, but uh, I'm a, I'm a competitor through and through. Like if it's walking to the stop sign, I'm going to try to beat you. Like, I, I don't know. I'm just wired like that. And I like make up little battles in my head and stuff like that throughout the day just to compete more and more. Um, so I like the competitive aspect. It's, I, to me, it's the ultimate form of com competition more than any other sport, more than any other thing on earth, really. Um, you know, it's there's it's a clear winner and a clear loser. <laughs> there's no oh, – and the other thing, too, to me was like I don't have to worry about, you know, that guy on my team just screwing it up for me. It's all on you um in the end so i like that but i also like the respect aspect and the martial arts code just um that always drew me to it so it wasn't like oh i want people to like me or i want people to respect me i just enjoyed that aspect that like oh this guy really is respected and these people are losing their minds over him so i, I thought that was kind of cool too but um the main aspects was were those were those things okay and when you uh say the martial arts code what what does that mean or what are you referring to, Ian? Yeah, so like um discipline, respect, things like that. Like, you know, like um like you know, that's that's the best way to explain it. Like um it's just like you know, treating others how you want to be treated with dignity and you know, no matter what their race, sex, whatever it may be, right? Um, I'm always gonna treat everyone with respect um until they don't treat me with respect, then you know you just always treat everyone nicely. You never know what they're going through. Yeah. Very cool. Absolutely, man. Okay. So, um, talk about, uh, that first opportunity you said you had to, to fight and you won. Um, what, what was that like, uh, you know, prepping for your first fight, being able to actually get in a, a ring and compete, uh, walk us through that first uh, fight that you had and, and kind of what, what was your mindset and what did you learn from that first one? Yeah, um, it's actually a good story. Uh, so it, it was in Chicago, and uh, you know, I was <laughs> I had one of the worst weight cuts of my life, but I eventually got down to one thirty five, weighed in, um, and then uh, I just remember like refueling, not like not looking back on it, like the worst way possible. I was refueling my body, and was more focused on food than water, and it just was a. I just had no guidance. <laughs> I was kind of just win like winning it myself, um, like the old old school wrestler way. Um, but I just remember like being there and at the rules meeting, and I was like, "Okay, we're here. Like, this is kind of weird. 
Like I can see my opponent from here or like who I thought was my opponent. Um, and then being in the back, one of my teammates, uh, he kind of like looked at me and he was like, here's what's going to happen. And I was like, okay, well, like what's going to happen? Like, what are we doing? And he was like, you're going to go out there. You're going to win. You're going to eat some good food. And then you're going to go home to your girl. And I was like, that seems like a pretty good, pretty good deal to me. So that kind of calmed me down a bit because I was kind of like losing it a little bit in the back. And then at some point I just kind of uh, hit this mental clarity where I was like, what's going to happen is going to happen. So like might as well just go out, have fun and try, I guess. Uh, and that, I just kind of like went out loose like that. And I remember, you know, like they announced one person before the other and they're announcing my opponent. And I'm like, that's weird. That's not the same name that they gave me. And then I hear weighed in at 140 or like 139 or 140. So then it means he missed weight. Um, and I was like, that's weird. That's not the weight I fight at. And then they announced me and at 135, I was like, oh, I guess we're, we're here. Like I got to do this now. Like, you know, not, no turning back. So then I go in, um, and my coach, I'll never forget at the time told me, he said, uh, you ever played video games? And I said, yeah, all the time. And he goes, imagine that you are the player and I'm the one with the controller. Uh, and that really resonated with me because like during the fight, my only thing I paying attention to was obviously defending myself and listening to what he was saying and what to do. Um, so I really attribute that win to him just because of the fact that I was just listening to what he said to do. Um, and it, honestly, the fight wasn't that hard. I'm going to be completely honest. Uh, he had a deficiency in, in grappling and, um, my coach said, just when he throws a kick, he's going to throw a kick for strike. Grab it and take him down. He did exactly that, did exactly what he told me to do. And then, you know, um, I could feel him break uh, mentally and physically. I was like, oh, I got him now. Like, he's giving up. Uh, I remember that because I remember he turned when he could have tried to escape and just gave me his neck. And I, I choked him out in the second round. And then, um, you know, one of the thoughts that was running in my mind, I was kind of with, I was with a pretty abusive girl at the time. Um, and I just remember her like not wanting me to fight and being like, Oh, if you lose this, you're, you know, you're done, you're done with this. And so that was kind of in the back of my mind a little bit too. At the time I was like, I need to win to continue fighting and like doing this. And I don't even know why I agreed to the whole situation, but um, I just remember winning. And then I, I looked up and I saw my mom and my, my dad and, my mom was crying her eyes out like she does for all my fights. Um, so I think that uh, it was just an interesting situation, just not knowing who my opponent was. They're not being the same opponent that they gave me, weight miss, and then just going out there and still sticking to the game plan. Um, so that was it was just an interesting situation and, and whatnot. So, um, but, you know, I got my burrito in the end and, you know, got to go home, so I was good. Cool. And then from that first fight, how how many other fights have you done in your career up to this point, Ian? Seven or eight. Honestly, I can't remember the number. But, um, I mean, I, I've been lucky that I've fought all over the United States. And, um, like, at the beginning of COVID, I've got some crazy stories. But the craziest one is this one. Um, at the During COVID, like, obviously nothing was open. No one was doing anything except for Florida. They, they said, screw it. Let's, let's keep doing life normal. So Aiden and I, um, we looked up every Florida promotion that we could to find to fight. We're like, everyone else is just sitting back in lazy. We put mats in my kitchen and like, we're fighting every day in the kitchen. Like that, that's what we were doing every single day to train. And 
while gyms were closed and everything, we're like, we're not get, we're not going to let ourselves fall to the wayside. We're going to keep working. So um, back to back weeks, we went out to Florida. He fought in Tampa, won a, ta- won a title. And then I flew out to Miami for my fight the next week with him. And, uh, you know, I, I land, I'm ready to, you know, start cutting weight, get, get used to everything. And then I got a call from the promotion. They're like, Hey, um, your opponent got injured. Hmm. Uh, but we have another one for you at the weight class up. And, you know, I, 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 I'm in, I'm in Miami already. I'm like, let's just forget it. Let's just do this. So then I'm fighting, uh, you know, we get, we get to the venue. I'm like the second or third fight, um, which the Florida, the whole thing was sketchy just because they weren't washing us wrap our hands or it was just really weird situation. Um, so I got out there, we were fighting, I'm taking him down and I kind of feel like a tug on my back. And I was like, well, it's kind of weird, whatever. So I keep going and it was right after I punched his mouth guard out. I, you know, the round ends, uh, after the first round and my, my teammates, Aiden and my roommate Heber jump in the cage cause they were cornering me and they're like yelling at the ref. And I was like, what the hell is happening? And then I feel them pat my back and there's blood dripping down. He bit me. Um, so then the ref was like, I didn't see it. It didn't happen. So then they were like, all right, watch for this. This like watch, keep watching for it. Do the same thing. I take the guy the next down and I start like kind of Khabibing his legs, like triangling them and whatnot. And I felt the tug again. And I was like, no way he did it again. He bit me again, actually. And I, I still have photos I can send to you of, um, of like the teeth marks and the indents in my back and stuff like that. And I just remember him fish hooking me and like, I out uh, gouging me and stuff like that. And like, I was, you know, anything you could do that was illegal, he was doing and the ref didn't care. Um, so that third round, I remember I was like, you know what? Like F this, like, fuck this. I'm not going to like, let you bite me again. So the whole round, I literally just stood striking with him and I kicked him, kept kicking his legs harder to the point where like he barely, he couldn't even walk after the fight. Um, so like I've got crazy stories like that, but yeah, like getting bit probably is the crazy story I got. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that, that's crazy, man. <laughs> okay. Now, um, because again, I'm not familiar with, with the fight game or anything. So like, how does it work in, uh, in terms of like, is there, you know, like baseball kind of has the minor leagues. It kind of has like the farm system, like walk us through for those of us that don't know anything about MMA and fighting and all that, like, how does somebody kind of move up their ranks, so to speak? Is there different organizations? Like, how does somebody get into the UFC? Can you kind of touch on that for us, please, and explain that? Yeah, uh, kind of almost like what you said with the farm leagues. So there's amateurs, which is the lowest level. Um, and you're an amateur, right? You're, you're fighting for free and whatnot. Um, you know, uh, and in California, we're really lucky because um there's an online database you can sign up to fight and they get you fights and whatnot so then the matchmaker gets in touch with you or your manager coach or whoever's helping you get the fights or saying yes and no to them um and then you have those fights and then you work your way up to the regional scene as a pro um so there's you know different levels of regionals of how uh prestigious they are like there's lower level ones and then there's higher higher level ones like lfa cffc up next there's a bunch of organizations that are like borderline feeder programs for the UFC, like the UFC watches or Bellator or PFL or these higher level leagues um, organizations rather that they pull, they watch these specific, you know, um, organizations and they'll pull from them. But majority of it is, you know, like 
your manager and you know who they know and um as well and but like you obviously have to fight and um you obviously have to perform in the end right um but a lot of these managers and um organizations have connections to specific um other organizations bigger ones okay okay and then um let's get i want to talk a little bit about the training side of things so when you kind of go into a, a fight camp to prep for a fight uh usually how long is that for you and what does your training day and training weeks kind of look like ian yeah so uh it obviously depends on like when the fight is or and when you take it it all depends on when you get matched and certain like things like that and um you gear like we gear it towards uh the specific opponent right we'll say for example i'm fighting we'll say like a a wrestler like a high level wrestler right you, you obviously know you got to work on that ground game a little bit more than other things and kind of working towards that um this past camp actually was a different one we took inspiration from um henry Cejudo actually because aiden uh, got to do a full camp with henry for when he fought dominic cruz um so we took inspiration from that about being a little bit more specialized in a smaller closed off so um let's say for example right i would run in the mornings for an hour um and then come home, start my work day for a little bit. Um, and then at 1230, I'd go to my MMA practice at uh, Orange County RTC. And uh, I'd be from 1230 to 2, just working on certain things. Like my coaches, Jesse and Al, they, uh, they, they're the ones that design the practice and run us through it. So we're, you know, we're just doing MMA-related training for that certain amount of time, slash conditioning, things like that, to get us into the right space. Um, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays – uh, nights we would go to the UFC local UFC gym here because they have a cage and we would do specialized training towards whatever it may be. So it was all about me or all about Aiden because we both had fights coming up at the time um, specifically towards what we would need to do or we would even spar in the cage just to get used to that and get used to the situations and we'd pull people uh, that we know from the area or other fighters um, that kind of fit the mold of that fighter to practice and do the things that they do and kind of get used to it and like let's say for example i'm doing a drill and something wrong happens stop everything fix the situation get back at it mm-hmm. uh, but i'd also on tuesdays thursdays i'd be going to jiu-jitsu with my coach matt salinas at 10th planet mission viejo um and working on that and then in addition to that on the weekends and, and certain times throughout the week i work with my striking coach uh daishin he's uh, a japanese fighter from from japan obviously but he's at Rising Suns, uh, Thai boxing, and I get to work with him and kind of be a little bit more specialized in, uh, in those things. And like I said, I like to cycle as well, so I'll cycle as well throughout the week. Um, it's just it's long long hours, but you know, obviously, I love every second of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it doesn't feel long to me. Yeah. Now, do you guys do any type of resistance or weight training like, uh, you know, barbell squats, deadlifts, things like that? What does that look like? Yeah, like um, Bulgarian deadlifts, things like that we'll do. I, I uh, If I'm fighting at 135, I try to ease off on um, lifting heavy just because I already have a bigger frame already. It's just the way I'm built and the way I am. I put muscle and weight on easily. Mm-hmm. Um, which isn't very <laughs> conducive to getting down to 135. So I'll, if I'm going to lift, I'm doing high reps, low weight, um, uh, and more explosive type aspects of things. Um, just because we're a very explosive sport, you know, 30 seconds of going hard and then 
30 seconds off, 30 seconds going hard, 30 seconds off. And that's kind of like the way we do it with our weight training. Um, a lot of squats, obviously, too, because we use our legs a lot and um, a lot of explosive movements with our arms as well. And because, you know, like throwing the ball down from side to side and stuff like that, uh, just those kind of explosive movements and high pace, uh, you know, high pace um, through and through, I guess you could say. Okay. And then you mentioned uh, a strict diet kind of when you get into a fight camp. So what, what does your diet kind of look like when you're dialing it in, so to speak? Yeah. So, um, so I, I work, I've worked with multiple nutritionists and um, at Mo monster health and fitness, um, Carly, she's the best. Like she checks in on me every, every like two days texting me and we text back and forth all the time. Um, and I've also worked with the fight dietitians and they're, they work, they work with Israel Asanya, Alexander Volkanovsky, like top level guys for obvious reasons. So, um, with them, what I was doing was, or what I do with them rather is, um, to kind of let them know my practices, level intensity out of 10, certain things like that. And, um, they kind of write out a meal plan and stuff like that. Um, so that's kind of really what it is. Um, obviously, you know, it's a lot of like rice, veggies, chicken, we'll say stuff like that. But, um, the thing I really like about working with both, um, Carly and the fight dietitians as well is they kind of bring a little normalcy to your life with like healthy desserts and stuff like that. Cause I'm, I have the biggest sweet tooth. So, um, they kind of throw stuff in like that for me to like keep me happy. Right. Cause a happy fighter is a good fighter. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I would say that would be <laughs> nutritional side of things. Um, obviously when you're getting closer to the fight, you know, you're upping your water and take the water load, um, so that your body starts flushing everything out. So, I mean, you can drink up to almost three gallons a day at some point, uh, when you're water loading, then you, you go down every day during fight week, um, to get yourself down to where you need to be. So, um, it's all, it's, everything's really calculated. Like I'm really lucky. And now that I'm doing it the right way, I'm not hurting my body as much. Mm. Now, uh, I know MMA stands for mixed martial arts, uh, but it's different than kind of like the Taekwondo that, you know, you did when you were a kid and I actually did Taekwondo too. So what's kind of the difference between MMA and like what we see like on TV with UFC and then like, you know, other disciplines like Taekwondo and, uh, whatever else is, is out there, uh, Ian. Can you repeat that question one more time for me? Yeah, yeah. What's what's the difference between MMA and kind of like Taekwondo and some of the other disciplines that some of us did when we were kids? Because I actually did Taekwondo too as a kid, but I know mixed martial arts is different. How is it different? And uh, you know, can you kind of just break that down for us? Yeah, it, it, to be honest, the intensity of it. Um, feel like uh, at least the way like what I was doing growing up through Taekwondo and whatnot, it was very relaxed, and you know, everyone was like happy and lackadaisical and it's way more focused than that. Um, obviously, you have different factors, right? You got to worry about striking and you got to worry about grappling. But there's also that in-between phase um, where you're mixing high-low, high-low. Like you might shoot a takedown, but you're shooting just to get him a bump and get a reaction and come up striking and, you know, catch them slipping. So there's a lot more to think about. Um, and the practices are a lot higher level intensity. And you're, you know, you won't practice like, for example, Taekwondo, you're working forms or, you know, um, boards or some, you know, something like that. Right. Or, or sparring. But 
it's a lot more structured. And uh, in MMA, like you have multiple things you're working on during your practice. So you're not just like, well, let's say for example, you're not just working one combo for the whole practice or, or something like that. Like half the practice may be working combos. Next half of practice may be working, uh, doing wrestling wall work or working on, you know, open space wrestling or jujitsu, you know, something like that. You have to find a way to mix everything together. And I think that's what the best martial artists and the best coaches do is teach you how to mix it all together, not just each art. And then um, now uh, jujitsu has seemed to become very popular, even amongst just quote unquote normal people. Like uh, is jujitsu a discipline like taekwondo or what, what is jujitsu specifically? And why do you feel like it's gotten so popular just even with normal people like myself, Ian? So I think <laughs> the early UFC days was a great promotion for the Gracie family and Brazilian jujitsu. Um, I mean, you watch UFC one and you see Hoist Gracie absolutely destroying people that weighed twice of what he weighs. Um, so I think that really put a, uh, it was a great promotion, right. For the family and for the sport. Um, and I think it took off from there. Obviously people were like, yo, I need to learn this stuff. And then the Gracie's just really started spreading their schools and, and went off from there. And then there's obviously other pioneers that came through like, um, Eddie Bravo, right. He opened up 10th planet and there's, hundreds around the world now and um i think accessibility is a big thing um affordability is another big thing yeah and uh i just think the nature of the fact of the way that mma grew helped with jiu-jitsu because if you look at the beginning of ufc grapplers were dominating through and through and people would see this on tv and pay-per-view and they'd be like oh, this is the most effective martial art because let's call a spade a spade. MMA was started because who is who has the better martial art? That's what UFC 1 was all about. Karate versus, you know, Sambo or kickboxing versus wrestling. And that's the, really the way it started was, all right, like your sport is, is better than mine? Okay, let's find out. Um and obviously, with like I was saying, the promotion with the Gracie family and jiu-jitsu, I think that's what spread it so widely is people would see this and be like, oh, okay, this is the most dominant and the most important for martial arts. But not just that, they also use it for self-defense reasons. Um, and I think, you know, I think they say like 90% of, or it's like 95% of uh, street fights end up on the ground. Most people don't know what to do when it hits the ground. So when you have that advantage, um, in those situations, I think that's what kind of helps spread it. And like I was saying, also with accessibility, I mean, I'm in California now, and it's crazy. Every corner, the every corner has a jujitsu gym now, so the accessibility for it is, is easier. And then obviously, when you have competition in business, you have to lower your prices or you know have to figure out a way to compete with your competitor down the street. So obviously, that helped with the accessibility side of things um, because you look at sports. And I was just reading about the issue with American soccer and why it you know, we don't have the best team on earth is because like these kids are having to pay $2,000 or more a year to play soccer. And the best athletes can't pay that. That's why basketball and football have the highest, mm. you know, athleticism. I mean, they're a tier S tier athletes. You look at guys like LeBron James or like Joey Bosa. Those guys are freaks of nature. So, and you see like they may not have had opportunity outside of it, 
but they dominated because it's the sport was so easy to do. Like Derrick Rose is a great example as well. Grew up in the inner city of Chicago, didn't have much growing up. I mean, he had to play pickup games and bet on them when he was in high school just so he could help feed his family. So you look at situations like that, and accessibility is a big thing to me. Great, great explanation, Ian. Thank you. So um what what uh what is your ultimate goal uh, within competitive MMA and how do you kind of personally set goals? Do you have like a, a uh, do you have, do you write them out? Like kind of like a vision board? Do you just have your goals in the back of your head? What does that kind of look like? What's that process for you, Ian? Yeah, both what you said, actually, Aiden as well said, uh, you know, he's like, it's good to have these goals, but you need to write them down and be concise and clear and um, exactly what you want right? And how you're going to get there. So I have it written out like um, one of mine is Bantamweight UFC champion. Mm-hmm. Another one, it was uh, greatest of all time at 135. And then above that is greatest of all time in the sport overall. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have goals, not even just within fighting, I have goals without outside of fighting mm-hmm. because, you know, we have to think about when this is over because it's a short period of time, realistically speaking. So, I mean, I want to become a commentator within MMA. Um, I have passions outside of fighting as well, like watches. I'm very big into like, you know, very big into watches and whatnot. Like I watch vlogs and stuff like that of watch dealers and stuff like that. So I'd love to get into that as well, but I'd like to stay within uh, MMA and, you know, managing as well would be a big, big thing for me because I love business and sales as well. So I think it would translate well, but you know, I'm mainly focused on fighting. Okay. Now, okay, you brought up the watch thing. Um, what? How did you get fascinated with watches, and and what can you do to make money with watches? I mean, I've heard that the watch market has exploded, or at least it did during kind of the COVID times. Um, so, talk about that. How did you get into watches, Ian? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, like my grandpa, he was stationed in Switzerland, or so, or. Yeah, Switzerland, something like that. And he brought home actually like two original Rolexes uh, that my dad still has. And, you know, we're going to pass down generation to generation. Um, so I always saw that and I saw him have one. And I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. But then in college, um, I had a roommate. Uh, his name's Jordan Shatila. And he really got me into watches. Like he he got a Rolex uh, Submariner Hulk, I remember. And I remember seeing it and being like, okay, that's pretty cool. And he kind of explained the market of it to me and um the status symbol and stuff like that and i was like okay this is kind of cool so then when i get on something like that i go full in deep like i said i have adhd so i hyper focus on things so i started hyper focusing on learning about watches and whatnot and um obviously like i couldn't afford one because i was in college um but when i graduated my dad gave me uh under like a 1980s rolex day just and i still have it to this day it's uh, my watch winder right now, actually. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know. Just like it meant a lot to me. And it's it's my favorite watch because my dad gave it to me. And like it was like a I'm proud of you status symbol, which <laughs> I don't get often. So um, it was nice to see that. And then I started kind of like paying attention more and more. And I actually got a really good commission check once uh, from work. And I bought a Rolex Mariner. So that's when I was like, OK, I'm, I'm really interested in this. Um, you know, I'm time to play the game basically. So I started paying attention more on YouTube and whatnot and started my research. And I knew that was a great first investment was the Submariner. Um, and I mean, within a year, it doubled from what I bought it for. Like you said, during COVID era, 
Um, so I sold it and made double of what I bought it for. So it's just working your way up, knowing the market, where things are going, what color, uh, what colorways are getting discontinued when the new releases come out. Like I pay attention to all that. Um, obviously I'm not more on the, uh, technical side of things, like with like the gears and whatnot, like I haven't really fully gotten into that yet. Um, but I know all the different models and, um, colorways and, or, um, things like that. So I pay attention to that and the way the markets are trending. I like the business side of it. Uh, like I watch all the gray watch or gray market dealers and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, it's just something I really like. And fashion is another big thing that I knew. So I pay attention to that. I read GQ and stuff like that. Um, just because when I was living in Ireland, like I, everyone dresses better. Like the children dress better, like have better fashion sense than adults in America. So I saw that and I started paying attention. Like I had a couple of friends also get me into it, um, you know, while I was there and when I came back and then I got super into streetwear and it just, it snowballs. <laughs> Very cool, man. Okay. So uh, your profession uh, is, is being a salesman. Is that correct? Yeah. Like uh, sales and fighting. Those are the two. Okay. So, so I want to talk about sales for just a couple minutes. Uh, yeah. Why don't you, why don't you give us a, cause salespeople kind of get a bad rap because there's a lot of sleaze bags within, uh, I think the sales industry, just like there's a lot of sleaze bags in any industry, but you, you get what I'm, uh, kind of, uh, putting down there. But in terms of like, what, what makes a great salesperson who isn't a sleaze bag, who, who, who kind of has those ethics that you talked about in terms of, you know, the fight game, right? How do you kind of, uh, parlay the, the fight game into being a great salesman uh if that kind of makes sense ian yeah well i mean obviously you have to have the mental fortitude you, i mean like you're gonna kick that you're gonna kick down nine times but that one time that you get you get it you know uh it, it's time to capitalize in that regards but um obviously ethically like speaking like you're saying right um what makes a good salesman and my dad told me this it's like a greek um proverb or something like that you call it I just remember him saying, we have two ears and one mouth so that we can listen more and talk less. So being actually able to listen to what the client needs and actually give them what they need. Um, obviously, getting the sales is important, but you also need to like actually help these people because they're not coming back. They're like, you know, if they don't stay working with you and buying from you, well, then you just wasted your time for one sale. Like, what's that really about? So um, actually helping the client and listening to what they have, but also building rapport, like, you know, like people buy from people they like. Um, so those are the two most important things to me, at least that resonate. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's, I, I love the two ears and, and one mouth, man. That's kind of like the, what I've learned uh, in terms of podcasting is, man, you bring people on, don't interrupt them. Let them just share their story, right? And uh, it's not it's not about you. So um, I definitely resonate with that. Okay, we're going to kind of start wrapping things up here, Ian. Uh, but I want to kind of touch on a couple more things. Now, going back to uh, fighting, what do you feel like since you started? Let's just kind of from the time that you had your first uh, match to where you're at now, what do you feel like uh, fighting has taught you and, and kind of given you in terms of things that you don't feel like maybe you would have learned or gained if you weren't a fighter? Oh, a lot of mental fortitude kind of going back to that. Um, I just think that um, it's not for everybody, right? Like it's, it's very tough. It's very, um, 
there's a lot of like sleazy people like you were talking about in other industries and whatnot. Um, so you got to like really, you know, keep your head on a swivel, kind of really understand the situations and the culture of certain gyms in certain situations. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a lot. Like, I just think that I've learned, you know, um, how to deal with certain people from different backgrounds that I may not have dealt with before or certain situations or even cultures, right? Like, it's a global sport. So like, I meet people from all over the world, like, you know, like Brazil, you know, Eastern Europe, Western Europe. Like I got to practice with a kid from Chechnya. Like I would have never met him if, if I didn't do the sport. So being able to understand other cultures and other heck even languages. Um, I think that teaches you a lot about, you know, <laughs> about the bubble we have in America. Like not everyone is the same. Um, and you know, just being able to, uh, no matter what, push through. Um, you may be having the shittiest day ever, but you know it's time to get off your ass. You know, get to work and then get back to the gaff, <laughs> and after and just you know rest, rest it. So it's uh, I don't know. It, it just you learn a lot of life lessons. It's it's hard to sum it up. I guess you could say, but those are some of them. Okay, um, so. Uh, piggybacking off the question I just asked you a couple minutes ago about what makes a great salesman, what makes a great fighter in your estimation? Yeah. Uh, dedication because, you know, uh, what's the quote? It's, uh, talent, uh, talent beat or talent doesn't beat hard work when hard work, uh, or when talent, what is it? Talent doesn't beat hard work when talent doesn't work hard. Um, I think that's a big thing. You look at guys like Alexander Volkanovsky, who, I mean, and, you know, like other fighters uh, through in the game, like John Jones, like they're extremely dedicated to their craft, um, but also understand different aspects of the sport, recovery, actual practice, watching film. Like there is no days off, even though you may not be working out that day. We'll say, for example, you, there's different sides of everything um, and being able to continually work and truly love the sport because you see people come into the sport and like, you're like, that might be the best fighter I've ever seen. And then they never fight because they just don't want to, or they don't have the discipline or things like that. Um, obviously within discipline as well, you have, you know, your diet and whatnot, you can't be eating like crap. Um, and then, you know, recovery as well with longevity and things like that. So being able to understand all different aspects of athletics, athletics, um, and being able to, truly try to excel at all of them and try to understand. Um, so, yeah. Okay. And then, you know, don't you feel like too, Ian, like to be a great fighter uh, and, and, and a great athlete or great at anything, it kind of goes back to uh, listening, right. And having that, uh, you know, insatiable desire to, to learn. I mean, that's kind of pretty important with the fighting game too, right? Yeah. And um, you always have something to learn from everyone. So not taking your like self too serious or like putting yourself on a pedestal is a big thing. I mean, you could learn something from someone that like hasn't been only training a year, but they have something up here that they saw or learned. And you're like, well, what was that? Yeah. So being able to be coachable and um, not have an ego, leave your ego at the door is a big thing as well. Awesome, man. Okay. Um, I think we're going to wrap it up here, Ian. I'm going to ask you one more question and then uh, 
I'll give you an opportunity to uh, share any final thoughts or any final words and, and give it any shout outs if you'd like. So on the, this, uh, uh, kind of the, the subheading of the podcast is conversations with those in pursuit of more. So I'd like to ask you, uh, what are you currently pursuing or in pursuit of? The UFC title at 135 and becoming the greatest fighter of all time. That is my pursuit. Perfect. Straight to the point, man, right? Yeah. Nothing Love like it. it, right? Yep. Hey, man, you know what you want. You're going after it. And uh, that's uh, that's very respectful. I, I love it, dude. So, okay, Ian, um, before I do a quick outro and I get you out of here, uh, I would like you to kind of share if somebody wants to uh, connect with you on social media, uh, if somebody kind of wants to follow along your, your fight journey, so to speak, um, where can people find you? And then uh, any shout outs or, uh, you know, any final thoughts or any final words, I'm, I'm going to turn it over to you and then I'll do a quick outro and I'll get you out of here. Yeah. So, um, I would say if you, if you want to follow me, I, I, I think I'm most active on Instagram. Um, and it, my handle is juice.mma, um, like juice, like the, the drink. Um, and then, you know, shouting out just all my teammates and everyone that's really helped me and my coaches. So like Aiden Ingram, Heber Castillo, um, some of my mentors like Jose Shorty Torres and TJ Dillashaw and Juan Archuleta, Cub Swanson. Um, and my coaches right now, like, you know, they, they really are the best coaches. Um, so I just want to shout them out, which is Al Tekken, um, Jesse, my jiu-jitsu coach, Matt Salinas, my striking coach, Dyson. Like they really, really master their craft and i just really want to thank them for everything they put in me and it doesn't go unnoticed um you know a lot of, i think a lot of people don't think those that help bring them up but I, I truly do love respect and and thank every single one of those people that has helped bring me up as well and then also my fiance jen like i, I love you so much and um uh, you know you are the most selfless loving person so i want to thank you for putting up with me <laughs> cool man Okay, Ian, I'm going to do a quick outro, then I'll get you out of here. But uh, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story, okay? Cheers, mate. All right, man. All of you who are tuning in to another episode of Curious and Candid, I just want to say thank you so very much. I appreciate you. I value you. And if you guys would like to connect with me, there's a couple places that you can connect with me. Instagram, Curious and Candid Podcast. And then email, Curious and Candid Podcast at gmail.com. If you guys would do me a huge favor and please subscribe to Curious and Candid on iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and review, uh, that would be greatly appreciated. And if you guys are interested in holistic lifestyle coaching, you can check out my website, which is awakentrainingandnutrition.com. Again, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Curious and Candid, and we'll catch you guys on another episode.